Brent, today's episode of the Bible Story Piece by Piece podcast is brought to you by the Ember Coffee Mug, which is what I'm drinking out of right now. No one cares, Trent. <laughs> Do you have any idea what this thing is? No. This was my I mom's. Don't. Oh, then well, I care. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> I didn't mean that in a sentimental way. I just meant to say I got this from my mom. It was, but it's connected to my phone and it keeps it hot, oh, this coffee mug. See, this any is, commentary, this is any one thoughts? of the reasons why I don't like coffee. First of all, just it, the culture it doesn't taste good. And then that you would connect your coffee cup to your phone. It's pretty amazing. Like I got, I get push notifications. that says your coffee's ready to be drank. Yeah. See, that's, I didn't mean to be overly harsh, but that's why I don't care. Like it's just, <laughs> oh, I didn't, I didn't coffee. think you were overly harsh. I purposely teed. I mean, it's in the script. I put that in there, oh, like in the show overreact, notes? you know, all that oh, stuff. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but you won't ever drink coffee, you don't think? I don't think so. Okay. Nope. Uh, I did get a text from someone that said, I should name my golf team in the scramble catchy memes. And that person may or not, may or may not be related to me. His initials might be D and J. Mm. Might be. Mm. <laughs> so how do you feel about the golf outing this year? Oh, that's it's, going to be great. It's good times. Well, speaking of the golf outing, there you go. We're in Ezekiel twenty-one through forty. That has nothing to do with the golf outing. It nope. just so. Um, yeah, this is uh the last major prophet book that we're in. We're gonna be covering a lot of some of the more well-known passages in Ezekiel. Just a reminder: major prophet doesn't mean mm-hmm. like more important prophet, meaning just longer, more chapters. Yeah. Have you ever preached through Ezekiel? No. Have you? I don't think so. (laughs) Hey, dude, okay, this is pretty funny. I just got back from visiting a church member at uh, one of the, um, where they were living at one of the homes that they're in and uh, in the assisted living community. And I I walked in and and a a woman walked up to me who I've never met before said, didn't you preach on Sunday? And I just said, yes. She said, great sermon. And then she walked away. Was it random? I've never met her before. That's classic. So, but that was. You think uh, she was here, or do you think you I don't just know. looked I like a preacher? If, what'd you say? Or do you think she just looked, or that she just thought you looked like a preacher? I, I think she like saw, like listened to my sermon. I don't know if it was here or like online, or if they have a group that watches there. I was in the elevator. I mean, it seems like they've got a small church plan over there because they were talking about Bible studies and the oh, elevator and all sorts of stuff. That's great. So, but we're in Ezekiel, and uh, last week. You know, we talked about the context. We talked about Israel. I mean, there was that passage in Ezekiel 16 that was really uh, indicting of Israel's guilt. We talked about Ezekiel being the watchman over Israel. Mm-hmm. In that call, you know, we talked about how as God's watchman over this nation, he was supposed to speak God's word to God's people, including the messages of judgment that are there. Uh, we talked about the destruction of Jerusalem that was predicted. Um, and then also we even kind of briefly talked about how even, I think it was in, even in that Ezekiel 16 passage after explaining Israel's guilt, it kind of reminds Israel of the Lord's love, uh, and, and assurance that their sins will be atoned for and forgiven, which kind of prophecies to the new covenant, which we'll talk a lot of, you know, this, uh, in this episode and people mm-hmm. will read about this week in Ezekiel 36. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I don't know if uh, I, I thought of a couple things we could talk about that 
readers will be uh, encountering this week. And, you know, we've been talking about in all these different prophetic books and also some of the historical books, you know, Jerusalem as a city will get destroyed from the Babylonian exile. The temple will get destroyed as well. Similarly, this week, there's uh, kind of like in Isaiah, I, I can't remember if Jeremiah has one of these, honestly, off the top of my head, but there's a stretch of about 10 chapters, eight to 10 chapters that explain, like, are uh, the woes against the mm. nation or the mm-hmm. laments mm-hmm. about some of the, so it's not just Israel's guilt, but it's the guilt of the entire world. Yep. And, uh, but the first thing I wanted to talk about, and I think we kind of alluded to this last week, I think it's in Ezekiel 33, a really well-known verse, Ezekiel 33, verse 11, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? I actually don't know that that is a really familiar Really? Verse. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people would be familiar with that verse, especially in the Old Testament. Huh. In terms of like, I think a lot of times, um, you know, there's so much judgment in. This gets overshadowed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the way that I guess I've heard people talk about it is that tension of like, how can this passage in Ezekiel that the Lord doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked be true mm. if this continues to happen over yeah. and over again? Yeah. But remar- I mean, the passage ends by saying, why will you die, the house of Israel? Yeah, and I think that's really a call to repentance. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, turn. Literally, that's that's what he's saying there. And so I think it's it's as much a call to repentance as it is like a description of the emotions of God. Yeah. If that makes sense. Totally. So, yeah, I mean, it it is an interesting tension to kind of wrestle with because when you read Joshua or you read even second Kings or Ezekiel and you read about these judgments that are happening on the nation of Israel outside of the context of the Torah first five books of the Bible where the Lord, I mean, we talked about this, this was probably back in, you know, I don't remember March when we were talking about in Deuteronomy, like there were very clear guidelines about blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Like, yeah. The terms of agreement were more known to Israel. It's, it wasn't as if Israel was in this relationship with God and said, I had no idea that this was the case. Um, we talked about that last week, that Ezekiel, even in kind of the indictment against Israel, recalls the fact that Israel is actually going out of their way to sin against the Lord. It's mm. not like a, an unintentional thing of ignorance. It's a purposeful selling of themselves to other nations participating in their religious practices. Yeah, it's kind of like the James, when James says uh, to him who knows, mm-hmm. you know, what is right to do and doesn't do it, or, you know, th- to him it is sin, you know. And so that definitely seems to be part of the um, extreme judgment is like you received the law you've seen all of these redemptive acts you've been the benefit of all, beneficiaries of all of these promises and still you know you're turning away from god mm-hmm. yeah and and one of the areas that you know 
not only does the Lord in this section of scripture bring up the guilt of the congregation of Israel. I, I mean, this is a, Ezekiel 34 is an extensive passage bringing up the guilt of the shepherds of Israel. One, I think there's a connection there that he makes between why should you die and like calling them to turn Mm -hmm. and the role of the shepherds or the failure of the shepherds to lead them, you know, towards God. So there's like this, you know, there's the watchman metaphor or analogy and then the shepherd uh, metaphor analogy, which obviously has future stuff as it relates to Jesus as, as he talks about himself as the good shepherd. But yeah, I think there are definite connections between where Israel is in relation to God and where the shepherds are in relationship to kind of the self-serving nature of where they're at. So when, I mean, when we read shepherds of Israel, we're not thinking actual cattle herdsmen. Correct. This is, this is kind of a more spiritual leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the life of Israel. It's um, it's pretty blunt what, what is said about them. It says in Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 2, uh, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Mm. So, I mean, the passage goes on and on basically saying that he's going to, you know, strike the shepherds and the sheep are going to go all over the place only then to go on saying Israel needs a new shepherd Mm -hmm. and it's going to be the Lord himself. That's going to be the shepherd of Israel. It says in verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, um, that obviously is all kind of part of the the overarching narrative of of where this is where this is headed in describing Jesus in that way and then even at the cross when he's you know the disciples run away it's like the shepherd is being struck mm-hmm. you know and everybody's taking off but yeah it does seem that the the onus is really put on these leaders and there's a literal aspect to that of like they're literally kind of taking care of themselves physically to the neglect of all these you know other people you know poor you know they're they're taking care of themselves physically and neglecting the physical needs of everybody else uh and then there's like a it seems to be like a spiritual aspect of that too of like these people don't even really know god and you're just letting them wander and Mm -hmm. not pursuing them yeah and, I mean, you kind of alluded to this too, but, uh, I mean, when we think about God being a shepherd, it's hard not to think of uh, those familiar with reading the New Testament, the well-known passages in John 10 yeah. about Jesus saying he is the good shepherd and that yeah. he lays his life down for the sheep. My sheep know my voice. They hear me when I call them and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Right. And one of the characteristics of the false shepherds is when danger comes, they take off. They leave the sheep to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's definitely what's being described here in Ezekiel 34. Yeah. So um, the, uh, oh man, I had something I was going to say. That was really good. It was really profound too, which is the hardest part about letting that one go. Yeah. But the, uh, anyway, the, 
one of the reasons why I wanted to spend time talking about that was, you know, I remembered it. I remember what mm, it was. Okay. So, uh, you know, in the narrative, we've we've kind of been pressing pause on some of the bigger picture of um, tracing the theme of, you know, God's Messiah deliverer. Mm-hmm. Savior. Savior, yep. And then we kind of trace the theme of God's king. Yeah. You know, like there's there's got to be this future king and all these imperfect kings. And that's the thing that I wanted to bring up in Second Samuel 7. You know, there is this idea that... Uh, the, the king is going to come through the line of David, mm-hmm. whoever this Messiah king is. And there, you know, uh, and also thinking about passages in Isaiah, it says, you know, God among, you know, his name shall be Emmanuel, mm-hmm. like God among us. So it, I guess it's just, it's fascinating that God prophesied, or well, you know, d- different prophets prophesied that the Lord would simultaneously be their king, which kind of has that ruler function, mm-hmm. but also a shepherd. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like when you think of a when you think of a savior, you probably don't think of a shepherd. At least that's what my mind would go to. Yeah. Yeah. At least I mean I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe that has more like themes of provision, like someone that's going to care for you and lead you. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it is. It is fascinating to kind of tie all of those, all of those themes together, and to see them all fulfilled in Jesus too. Mm-hmm. Because he has attributes, you know, there are ruling, kingly, regal aspects about his ministry. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's there's an authoritative figure that he has, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but he also has this lowly mm-hmm. ministry to the weak, to mm-hmm. the helpless, to mm-hmm. the outcasts. And he himself came in very lowly yeah. estate. Yeah. So it's, it, it, here we begin to see kind of the foreshadowing of the ministry of Jesus, yep. so which is very encouraging. I mean, one thing I, I did want to ask you, I mean, I was thinking through this about how even at, when we had our, recently we had the elders together, we read through 1 Peter 5, mm-hmm. which in a lot of ways kind of highlights the the ministry of pastors to a congregation, ministry of elders to a congregation. Mm -hmm. And it actually almost uses the opposite. Basically Ezekiel 34 is the antithesis. Don't do this, do this. Exactly. You know, uh, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you not domineering, you know, all, all those different attributes. Yeah. And then it just, it struck me today that, that that's the passage that it ends with God opposes the proud, but gives Mm -hmm. grace to the Mm -hmm. humble. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm not asking this to try to boost up your ego or boost up our elders ego or anything like that. I was thinking of people that might be listening that might not always be at Linworth thinking Mm -hmm. about going to different churches at some point because if they move or whatever it is, you know, I, I don't know. I guess I just wanted you to reflect on the importance you know, or even rather the necessity of humility in pastoral ministry. I know it's a very broad topic, but it, it's, it's a, it's a broad topic and it's a tough topic to even talk about because inherent in talking about it, there's the danger of pride. Well, how about this? You could even talk about examples that you saw in your life, whether from past pastors, oh, yeah, your dad or, or things like that, that, 
you saw emulate, you know, you saw kind of embodied in their ministry that you felt like represented this shepherd like figure we see throughout scripture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I've seen that especially like there's a lot, there's a lot of ways that like humility can be observed, but then even maybe like, I don't know, faked in, in a sense. But one of the, I mean, you can, you can, come across as a humble person if you're just like not divisive or not controlling or, and, and generally that is an expression of humility, you know, to some degree. Um, but sometimes it can just be like, I just want to keep the peace and you can be kind of quietly proud. Yeah. Yeah. But like when you think of like pursuing the, the lost, not just like pursuing the, people that don't know the Lord, but like pursuing people that have rejected the Lord or like are just kind of in sin. There's not, there's certainly a way to do that in a proud way, but some of the more healthy demonstrations of pastoral leadership and humility and leadership is like people that are not giving up on and continuing to pursue people that are, um, struggling wayward in sin um and doing that because like there's there's very little fanfare from that like nobody really knows about that there's very little reward from it because oftentimes people are not turning you know they're it's just kind of this steady I'm just burdened for these people I love these people and it's a very I don't know it's an expression of what I see as like a a true Christ-like shepherd, because that's it's that's Jesus' ministry. You know, when he talks about the the, the role of the shepherd that leaves the ninety-nine and pursues the one, and throughout the Old Testament, in passages like this, it's like, hey, you didn't care about the people that weren't around, you know. And it's easy to be like, well, these people are here, and you know, they're kind of they're they're the base, and so we got to make sure we keep the base happy or whatever, but. You, there's just not much. There's not much that really benefits you, um, or the church, so to speak, in like the pursuit of like the wayward. So I think that's that's definitely been one area. And there's a particular person that I have in mind that's that's really does that well, mm-hmm. and I've I've learned from that. Yeah, that's really cool. The uh, and that's just that's a good reflection for us because for all Christians for that matter, because there are shepherd like qualities that you want to be kind of protective uh, of possible threats. Yeah. But you can do that in a way that actually is domineering to those. Oh yeah. That should be a part of the flock. Right. I'm I'm not sure should is the right word, you know, whatever. But like, I think to that, there is the other aspect of the shepherd is the pursuing part that you mentioned. That's that's just, yeah, the protective aspect is like it can't be an us versus them. It it has to be more of like a nurturing, caring for, including, including, you know, and protecting against certainly false teaching and you know, whatever, um, and people that have bad motives. But there's a way to do that in that's not a kind of culture warish type of way. Mm-hmm. But I really think the pursuit piece is 
I think where oftentimes we just don't do that very well. Um, again, not necessarily people that don't know Jesus, but like people that have walked away or have um, wandered or strayed. That seems to be the imagery that he's talking about here. It's like people that once were a part of the fold that are just out there wandering and who's who's going after them, you know? Because it's easy to just write those people off like, well, they know better, you know? Mm -hmm. They had their chance. They're doing this willfully. Yeah. So. Yeah, those are are some good reflections. And I think to kind of to continue that conversation of what what will be encountered in this passage of Ezekiel this week is that unlike the shepherds of Israel who are doing things for their own glory the lord says in Ezekiel 34 that he's going to be their shepherd for his own glory yeah you know like his concern for Israel is obviously their love for them and their concern for them but it is also there is a concern that god has for his own the reputation of his name. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you see, I and, said total. I said absolutely instead of totally. That was well done. I actually went back and when I was editing, I just I, I listened to it a few times. How good that joke was at the end of last episode. <laughs> and I was like, "Do you want to pray?" And you said, "Totally." <laughs> I just should have saw that coming. Um. So the last two sections we can talk about as long as you want to talk about. Hmm. Uh. How's your coffee? You know, it's the same temperature. <laughs> Good old app. The notification is still there. <laughs> so is Ezekiel 36 and Ezekiel 37. One of the ways that the Lord plans to protect his people for the sake of his glory is through what we encounter in Ezekiel 36, the outpouring of his spirit. Yeah. And here we're kind of getting into, you seem puzzled. No, I'm just trying to think. I, I started to think like, is this the first place that there's a really full development and it's, I wouldn't even say it's like a really full development compared to the New Testament, but like a like a pretty full development of the, the spirit. Yeah, I, I Certainly don't know. there's Psalms mm. that, you know, mention the spirit. Well, because the, the aspects of this passage in Ezekiel 36 that we have seen before is the idea of like the new heart. Heart yeah. of stone, heart yeah. of flesh, the yeah. laws written on the hearts. Yeah. Like, we saw that in Jeremiah, but I don't but know. But there was an explicit reference to the spirit so I will much. give you a new heart, a new spirit, and I will pour with that. I will pour within you. Yeah. I mean, that is that's pretty remarkable. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Mm. So this is this is obviously related to, um, yeah. And and some of the stuff we're kind of getting into some questions that readers might have about the presence of the Holy Spirit in the old Testament versus the new Testament. Some of that is just the differences. Perhaps maybe the simplest way to say it is it's not as if the spirit didn't exist in the old Testament, but as a part of the new covenant, a mark of the new covenant is a greater outpouring of the Holy spirit amongst all believers. Like we see in acts. Yeah. An indwelling Mm -hmm. like a permanent indwelling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, This, this is picked up, and a pretty graphic visual in Ezekiel 37 yeah. in the Valley of Dry Bones. Hmm. Basically, Ezekiel is given this vision to look out to see a valley of dry bones and is asked, son of man, can these bones live? Mm-hmm. And Ezekiel says, oh, Lord, only you know. Mm-hmm. And the Lord tells Ezekiel to prophesy to them. And 
his basically basically instructed to breathe on them the bones come to life and come together foreshadowing the restoration of Israel yep during exile yeah as kind of an initial fulfillment of yeah that. it is it's a cool picture because it it in terms of piece by piece overarching story of the bible you know the the breath of god in creation genesis is what, 1 yeah it gives life to adam uh and then here's this kind of dead people israel that have walked away from god they're like they're like dry bones mm-hmm. and god's going to restore them and bring them back but then it's like that even is looking forward to dead people like me and you mm-hmm. in our sin that God by his spirit will breathe into us or mm-hmm. pour into us so that we can have new life. So it's a, it's a, yeah, it's just kind of that death to life imagery from, you know, creation is not death to life. It's, it's like, you know, from nothing to life. And it, it also, you know, the, uh, the Hebrew word, can be either translated spirit or breath. Yeah. And so even thinking about later in the New Testament, in Second Timothy three, thinking about the word of God is breathed out by mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. You think about the the spirit filled power that comes with mm. the, the living and active word of God. Mm-hmm. It, it it's one of those things of I'm continually blown away that the Lord gives us this for our ministry in disciple making as as a way to bring people back from the dead, mm. you know, <laughs> yeah. cause it's the temp man. Like I, I've been talking about this with Jade in the past couple of days. I feel like, man, my, the temptation I had as a young Christian was like, I was almost embarrassed that I had the Bible mm. kind of mm. like, I, maybe that's a blunt way of saying that, but I almost didn't want to tap into it because I didn't want to overwhelm somebody. And mm-hmm. obviously there's a principle about being wise towards outsiders and stuff. But like, man, the the longer that I walk with Christ and the more I've been rebuked and challenged by scripture, the more that I want to leverage God's word and say mm-hmm. like, man, let's, if I want someone to know God, I want them to mm-hmm. encounter his, his word, mm-hmm. you know, as mm-hmm. a way for mm-hmm. the spirit to use. Mm. Yeah, and I think that also relates to like, you know, the whole idea of like, you know, when Ephesians said we're dead in our trespasses. So it's like mm-hmm. we don't need just a friend to kind of come alongside us and like help us kind of figure out life and do better. Like we need to be made alive, yes. you know? And like that's that that is where you see you know, the, the ministry and the doctrine of the Holy spirit being so essential. It's like, you can't take someone, you can't make someone who's dead alive, spiritually dead, spiritually, any more than you can do like, you know, someone who's literally dead Mm -hmm. and make them alive. I mean, that's, that's such a miraculous work of God. So yeah, I think that's just, it's a, it's a good thing for uh, readers to kind of camp on of this analogy or this vision in Ezekiel 37 and think through how it, how it kind of um, is a paradigm for all of the Bible of what God is doing here in creation, in Israel, and ultimately in salvation. Yeah. 
And it's, you know, this is kind of the lowest point of Israel as they're, I guess, like the most recent low point of Israel's history before the ministry of Jesus. So, you know, next week as we get into the end of uh, Ezekiel and into Daniel and then hmm. the, the 12 minor prophets, I mean, we're only, we're only in the Old Testament a little bit more. Um, so th- these are like the fresh prophecies that Jews in the first century, you know, Israel would have had in mind during the time of Jesus. So mm-hmm. that's why when we see the wording like, you know, son of man and son of David and. Yeah. And like being born again, even though that terminology isn't necessarily here, like Jesus says to Nicodemus, you should know about this. Mm-hmm. Like if you've read Ezekiel, mm-hmm. you should know that there's like, you must be born again. There's like a, yeah. there's a Holy Spirit as- aspect to this. And <laughs> he does the same in uh, Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus. Like there's yeah. this, he says, you know, all of the law and prophets pointed to me, you know? So it's, it, it's cool to think about as an encouragement for people reading through the Old Testament for the first time, my my hope of, honestly, the whole reason why we did this podcast in the first place was so that some of these dots would connect. Yeah. When we even hit through the Gospels and yeah. Matthew right away, yeah. hoping that there will be like, that be, there will be payoff. so familiar. For sure. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So that's all I got. Oh, well, I don't know. The only other thing I was going to say was, it's it's interesting how the Lord keeps saying, my servant David will. Mm. And this is after David has died. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like he's referring to the future king, future redeemer as David. Yeah. The true David. Yep. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the David that is going to be the the fulfillment of that promise to David, mm-hmm. the king that's going to come in his, his line. Yeah. Yep. yep. That's all I got, man. That's right. Uh, you gonna put the where to get the coffee cup in the show notes? Probably not. No. I'm I'm sure it's everybody just already knows. Well, they already have one. Coffee. I mean, that's that's the reason why we don't. I'm surprised. Hey, this is what she's probably not listening, but this is probably what you could get Gil for. She does listen. Oh, all right. You know, and she's she, like weeks behind, so she's probably gonna be listening right at Christmas time, and I'll be like, so wait, when's her birthday? Week before Christmas. Double whammy. Oh, and anniversary. Gosh. Oh, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Three weeks. Three strikes. Yes. You're out of the game. And it's you got it's three unique celebrations. So maybe you do the Ember Charger, then the mug, then coffee. Oh. That might be that might be seen as one gift. On that note, Merry Christmas, Gil. <laughs> I can pray. Father, thanks for this time. Thanks for your word, and we pray that by your spirit in the same way that you have breathed life into all of uh, us who trust in your son, Jesus, through the work of your spirit. We ask that by your spirit, you would help us as we read through Ezekiel, help us as we uh, read through uh, passages that um, convict us and comfort us. We ask, Lord, that we would be made more like your son uh, as we strive to press into your word and we ask for wisdom. You'd help us understand it in a way that Uh, changes us into Christ-likeness and ultimately uh, for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.